Hi, I'm Ian McAllister, and every two weeks, myself and my co-host Jamie bring you the best in tabletop gaming news. This is Brainwaves episode 107. These are the headlines for the week of the 19th of September, 2022. Wizards of the Coast finally has had enough of new TSR. And that's it. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Yes, indeed. Usually we have three different headlines on an episode of Brainwaves, but this time we've just got one, and that is the lawsuit between Wizards of the Coast and the company that has become known as New TSR. Now, we thought we'd do a little summary of all the events running up to this, because there's been quite a lot of coverage of this on the podcast in the last couple of months. So, for those who may have missed our coverage of this ongoing story, we thought a little recap may be of use. Before we begin this, I would like to just say that I am going to be using some terms that some people may find offensive. It's not our intention to offend, but we feel it necessary to use those terms as they come from the documents that we're about to talk about. Uh, our apologies in advance for anybody who gets offended by what I'm about to say. Tactical Studies Rules was the original company that released Dungeons & Dragons way back in 1974. That company was eventually bought by Wizards of the Coast in 1997, when TSR was close to bankruptcy. Wizards of the Coast went on to release various versions of Dungeons & Dragons over the years, from 3rd edition to the now incredibly popular 5th edition of the game that has seen the fortunes of both Dungeons & Dragons and Wizards on the continual rise. Some, however, were unhappy with the strides Wizards were making in bringing Dungeons & Dragons to a wider and more diverse audience, and decided to revive the name Tactical Studies Rules and pursue their own RPGs that were more traditional in flavour and ignore all the woke nonsense I'm doing air quotes on a podcast, I know that's not great, and ignore all the woke nonsense that they perceived was being committed by those behind the current edition of Dungeons & Dragons. This version of the company was set up by Ernie Gygax Jr., son of E. Gary Gygax, the originator of Dungeons & Dragons, and a gentleman known by Justin Lanaza, and is colloquially referred to as New TSR. N-U-T-S-R. They have had all sorts of controversies from various examples of white supremacist language in their upcoming Star Frontiers RPG to posting transphobic, homophobic, and various other horrible things to their Twitter accounts. Now it seems like things may be reaching a middle in the ongoing clash between New TSR and Wizards of the Coast. Originally, New TSR tried to dispute some of the trademarks that Wizards of the Coast held, but that came to nothing. A short while ago, a playtest document for their RPG, Star Frontiers New Genesis, the revival of an original TSR line, leaked online. The content in it was so reprehensible that Wizards of the Coast felt compelled to act legally to protect their brand. We would like to thank Twitter account at NoHateInGaming and David Floor at BrainClouds for doing a lot of the legwork going through the filing we're about to lay out for you here. The documents were filed on the 9th of August and is up for consideration by the court on the 30th of September. They contain a preliminary injunction for Wizards and support for that injunction from the Council for Wizards of the Coast, that's their legal team, and Director of Publishing and Licensing for the company. Effectively, Wizards are asking the court to prevent new TSR from releasing Star Frontier's new Genesis. From the document. Wizards would be irreparably harmed by the publication and distribution of the game using its trademarks because consumers may mistakenly associate Wizards with the reprehensible content of the game, damaging its reputation and goodwill and undermining its efforts to foster a culture that embraces diversity around its games. Wizards goes on to explaining that it is still using Star Frontiers and TSR marks in selling their games online. The suit names Justin Lanaza as the defendant and the Dungeon Hobby Shop Museum, which is the company he started to make these products. What is the reprehensible content that Wizards is referring to, you may ask? 
Well, one of the later documents in the suit is from the Wizards Legal Council. It details at great length why new TSR has no claim to the TSR logo it thinks it does, and also dives into the real playtest documents for Star Frontier's new Genesis. These are obtained from a subpoena issued to Wizard Tower Games, who had access to the playtest documents for Star Frontier's new Genesis. We'd like to remind listeners that the documents we are describing and their contents were defended by new TSR when originally leaked as being photoshopped. Another exhibit, Exhibit E in the documents, is a playtest document with many of the most offensive segments highlighted. These include elements we have previously reported on where they talk about blood purity and that, in their words, the Negro race is a subspecies of the Nordic race and is inferior. This uh, also appears alongside a strong anti-trans stance. We'll link to the previous cast that contain all this information, but suffice to say that we have read it, so we hope that you don't have to. Amongst the rest of the court filing is the information that Justin Lanaza may have committed perjury or fraud when establishing new TSR. There is documentary evidence that when filing to establish the company, he declared that he didn't know of any other company using the name TSR, despite Wizards of the Coast providing ample evidence that they still use the trademark. It's worth noting that David Floor, who we credited above, has a version of the Star Frontiers playtest document that is a little further down the line towards production, and is a later version than the one that Wizards are using as part of their lawsuit. It has removed some of the more overt racist elements, but still contains things like the superior Nordic race. You'd think a massive injunction from the owners of Dungeons & Dragons might be all we'd, that we would be reporting on today, but there's more from the world of new TSR. Don Samora of Wizard Tower Games claims that NASA emailed him a spreadsheet in May of 2022 that included financial information from customers and businesses of new TSR, and that information included full names, home addresses, phone numbers, and even credit card numbers. This includes customers of TSR or the Dungeon Hobby Shop. Don commented on a thread on site EN World entitled The Full and Glorious History of New TSR, offering to confirm if anyone's personal information was part of the spreadsheet he received. The information Don shared was part of a back and forth between him and Lanasa that started on August the 29th, when Wizard Tower Games confirmed they had received subpoenas from Wizards of the Coast relating to the lawsuit we described earlier. Ian World has a pretty extensive summary of all these events leading up to this point, which we're going to provide a link to in the show notes, and it's that thread that I just described, the full and glorious history of new TSR. It's all split down by date and times and all that. It's very informative if you want a good sort of overview of the situation. <sighs> so, there's a lot going on in there, obviously. Uh, there's lawsuits about. It does feel to me like this might be a bit of an end of this. Certainly, No Hate in Gaming seems to think that this might be the end for new TSR, and I am personally inclined to agree. You've got a huge company in Wizards of the Coast bearing down upon you with all the weight of their legal department to basically stop you producing the one thing that you have said that you will produce. Basically, new TSR have run around for months, kicking up a fuss about how woke Dungeons & Dragons are, is saying some incredibly horrible and terrible things, producing products that contain horrible philosophies and ideas in them. And Wizards have, quite frankly, had enough. And, quite frankly, about time. What do you think, Jamie? I think there's nothing to say. I think their actions, their, what they've put out, speaks for themselves. Utterly reprehensible and... I won't beat about the bush. I hope they don't come out of this. Yep, I agree entirely. They have no place in the community at all, as far as I'm concerned. Well, before we move on to the main news, Jamie's got a little update on a previous story. 
Back in episode 103, we reported on the laying off of staff at Peterson Games, creators of Cthulhu Wars, amongst others, and their issues in delivering several in-progress Kickstarter campaigns. Unfortunately, it looks like the wheels are continuing to come off. Thanks very much to one of our Discord members, Al Brotner, for bringing this one to our attention. In an update to the Demon Sultan campaign, which was originally estimated to be delivered in May 2020, Peterson Games, more specifically Arthur Peterson, wrote, When we say that backers are our priority, we mean it. To ensure that we could deliver to you, our backers, we had to make tough decisions regarding our staff earlier in the summer. This meant letting go of the best team we've ever had at Peterson Games, and it killed us to do so. Down from 11, we are now a three-man operation trying to get through this final push to solid ground. To be explicit, our company eggs are firmly in the Cthulhu Wars 4 Kickstarter basket. They go on to say that no one is being asked to pay extra shipping, but offer a new add-on to encourage folk to pledge more money. In the FAQ of this update, they respond to Is This the End of Peterson Games? by saying Not at all. As stated above, we are just stretched a little thin right now. The pressures of the last two years were incredible. We made the choice to keep our staff and keep paying out money when we had little money coming in as far as product sales. CW04 is a huge investment for us, and once we have that product in hand, we will be on some pretty good ground. In fact, once we have CW04, we will turn our attention to each one of our other Kickstarters and get them to market. We're both optimistic and confident that we'll all be discussing future Kickstarters soon. This does not sound good. Personally, I don't understand how you know, trying to produce more product is meant to help. It might be easier to you know, ask for more money at this point. You know, Many other ca- Kickstarter campaigns have done it, not always successfully, but they have done it. Also, the bit where they say, basically, they kind of blame the backers for the sacking of the staff a little. Like that's, You could kind of interpret it that way, and it just doesn't look very good. There, I believe there was a timeline for some of this stuff coming out, and you might not see some of this for another couple of years. It does not sound good for Pearson Games, especially they've got such a small team now trying to do the work of a much larger team. Yeah. I am, I'm not sure that's going to have a happy ending, I'm afraid. Jamie, it's not all black and white in the world of chess. High-level chess is a very serious thing indeed, and is no stranger to controversies. The current situation rocking the chess world took place at the Sinkerfield Cup in St. Louis, Missouri, United States. The world champion, Magnus Carlsen, withdrew from the tournament after losing to 19-year-old Hans Niemann in the third round. This marks Carlson's first ever withdrawal from the tournament, and the first time he has lost while playing white against a lower-ranked opponent in several years. Now, after this, claims of cheating on Neiman's part have been circulating, with Hikaru Nakamura, the top Blitz variant player, adding that Neiman had been banned from chess.com, biggest chess website in the world, in the past. Neiman's statement included, I cheated on random games on chess.com. I was confronted. I confessed. And this is the single biggest mistake of my life. And I'm completely ashamed. I am telling the world because I don't want misrepresentations and I don't want rumours. I have never cheated in an over-the-board game. And other than when I was 12 years old, I have never cheated in a tournament with prize money. Neiman has repeatedly said he cheated aged 12 and 16, but is clean now and would play chess naked to prove his innocence at the tournament. As a result of these claims, currently Neiman has been banned from Chess.com and has been uninvited from the Chess.com Global Championship, a $1 million event being held in Toronto. Now, according to The Guardian, and I quote here, it is potentially the most serious such case for international chess since the 2005 
Toilet Gate World Championship match when Veselin Topolov accused Vlad Kramnik of analysing games in the lavatory. I, I read several articles around this Sheen scandal and some of them were just absolutely bonkers, including someone who uh, accused him of using, and I'm sorry to say this on a podcast, anal beads to cheat. What's wrong with anal beads? Don't kink shame. I'm not. <laughs> it's just a very, very strange thing to have said. After shaking up their board recently, the Game Manufacturers Association, Gamma, has shaken up the awards they give out each year called the Origins Awards. The categories for the forthcoming awards this year will be Tabletop Game of the Year, Best Board Game, Best Card Game, Best Children's Game, Best Miniatures Game, Best Collectible Game, Best Role-Playing Game Core Book, Best Role-Playing Game Supplement, Best Game Artwork 2D and a category for 3D as well, and a Best Game Review and Best Game Accessory. The big changes here are the addition of two artwork categories. The digital adaptation category has disappeared, and they've streamlined some of the wider tabletop categories and added a review category. The eligibility period is from 1st of January to December 15th, 2022, and the submission window will be from the 1st of October to December 15th, 2022. I'm going to say this right off the top. Best game review. What, what does that mean? What does that entail? No idea, but I want it. So give it to me. But no, in all seriousness, I do think like getting rid of the digital ad- adaptation category seems like a misstep to me because we're seeing so much more of that now, seeing so many more board games come to digital versions, either through Steam or through Board Game Arena or Tabletopia or something like that, that the digital side of tabletop gaming became such a big thing during the last couple of years. And it's not going away. Yes, but it's COVID is like, over now, seems- Ian. So now we move on. Of, of course it is. Totes, totes over. But yeah, it, it, it just seems like a slight misstep. I think that we'll see a return of that category personally because I think it's just going to be, be more of a thing for board games to have digital da- adaptions all the time. That's right. I think having a digital adaptation category is probably maybe a good idea. It is now a large part of the hobby and industry, whether people like it or not. And, you know, you're not always going to be able to play games with people around the table. Sometimes playing it online is the only way. I mean, we're even seeing multiple adaptations of individual properties like wingspan is available as as a steam game uh, a, a steam program and is also now on board game arena so we're seeing sort of multiple digital adaptations of oh, they're doing the same properties. with ticket to ride ticket to ride has its own game yeah. and it's coming out on board game arena as well yeah absolutely so it's it's a thing you yeah. need to acknowledge that it is sticking with awards for a moment jamie some a little closer to home we have the Tabletop Gaming Live Award winners. Now, Tabletop Gaming Live Awards, I believe we talked about the nominees several podcasts ago. And as you're listening to this, Tabletop Gaming Live will just have happened in Manchester. So all the awards will have happened. Congratulations to all the winners. Picking out a couple of choice selections here, we have Best Game, the Game Du Jour, Arc Nova from Capstone Games. The Best Party Game, Blood on the Clock Tower. Lots of talk about that. Best intergenerational game was Cora Quest. Congratulations. And the best way to die in an RPG award went to Call of Cthulhu from Chaosium. But sadly, there was no context for how is the best way to die in Call of Cthulhu. And that, my friends, is disappointing. In the world of crowdfunding, there's never a 100% guarantee that your pledged cash will actually result in a product arriving on your doorstep. This is just the way it is, and in recent years, the probability of things going wrong has somewhat increased, often through no fault of the companies involved. 
GameFound, the recent arrival on the tabletop games crowdfunding scene, doesn't think this needs to be the case though. In a post entitled Securing Your Pledge in Unstable Times, Alex Radcliffe, Chief Marketing Officer of GameFound, laid out the bad feeling of seeing your pledge requirement jump after the campaign ends due to shipping or other issues. GameFound thinks this leads to a lack of confidence in the platform and products and leads to more $1 pledges so people don't have to commit fully to the campaign. To counter this problem, they are introducing the Secure Pledge. This is an optional opt-in for creators at the start of a campaign and means that the campaign guarantees its backers a full refund if the declared costs at the start of the campaign go up by 10% or more. The creator guarantees a full refund to those who request one up to two weeks after any such change is implemented. GameFound will also refund its provision for that pledge, the cut the platform takes. You'll know a project is part of this program as it will be visible on the campaign's launch and in the pledge manager. Now, I'm personally not sure this will 100% do what they think it will do, but maybe it'll give backers a bit more confidence so companies will see a bit more money. I do wonder if like committing to that refund will see sort of campaigns kind of falter at the end a little bit. don't know. What do you think, Jamie? I think it is good that a secure pledge is being introduced, but it's still a one thing to remind people that even with a secure pledge, your project may not fund. Oh, well, and even if it does fund, it may not eventually ever get to you because, I mean, shipping is calming down a bit now after the last few years of it being incredibly hard for creators to predict what the shipping is going to be like at two years from the point of them actually getting money to actually producing the thing and putting it out there. I may be a cynic, but, so I'll say it's coming down right now. Yeah, but it's still incredibly volatile out there. So, yeah, yeah. be very understanding of, of campaigns and be careful with your money, folks. Speaking of being careful with your money, as you all know, we have a Patreon, and we're extremely grateful to all of you who give us money to help the, keep the cast and site running. Thank you very much. It seems as though Patreon itself may be in trouble, something that will be of concern to many creators over many different hobbies and industries. In a message from CEO Jack Conte, Patreon staff were informed that 80 of their teammates, about 17% of the workforce, would be laid off. The losses are going to come from the go-to-market, operations, finance, and people teams. Conte goes on to lay out the reasons for the changes, most of which revolve around the accelerated changes to the world economy that the COVID-19 pandemic brought. The company grew rapidly to support the growth in creators, but as the world returns to quote-unquote normal, it seems the growth has slowed considerably. The move will see the company consolidate a lot of its operations to the US teams, with both the Dublin and Berlin offices closing down. He also reveals that a further five members of the team were laid off from the security contingent the previous week for reasons other than those mentioned in the address to the wider company. I mean, I don't think it's controversial or anything to say that, yeah, Patreon and OnlyFans, for example, has seen massive upticks in, in users, people reassessing their lives, people trying to, to take a gamble and, you know, see if they can come out on top with something a bit more personal, maybe, you know. Will the companies that benefited so much from the lockdown see their fortunes fade now or, or not? Certainly possible. I mean, that patrons firing such a large number of staff and effectively downsizing the company again after a period of rapid growth doesn't speak well to their sort of long-term planning. Maybe it'll secure them for the future, but yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I wouldn't be, I'm not worried myself for our patron, and there are other ways that we could potentially ask for money from our listeners and readers, but uh, Patreon is extremely convenient, obviously, uh, and it, it's a relatively decent platform, but people do it in lots of other ways. So if Patreon was to disappear, I'm sure people would find different ways to 
do it and i'm sure someone would step into the void as well and uh, establish a new a new uh, paradigm Last time on the cast, we started a new section all about jobs and opportunities in the tabletop industry. We've just got the one this time round. The Indie Game Developers Network is running a GoFundMe at the moment. The money raised will be given to all sorts of tabletop folk from diverse backgrounds in order to complete projects they feel passionately about. Any sponsorship from the network will also include mentorship from the current Indie Game Developers Network members. Their goal is $5,000 of fundraising, with IGDN providing an extra $1,000. You can check out the GoFundMe for more information and details as to the people they've helped out in previous years. It's a very worthy cause, so if you do have a few bucks that you'd like to help out IGDN, then please go and visit their GoFundMe. And if you have events or uh, jobs that you'd like to, us to advertise on the cast, then please do get in touch with us. Uh, you can get in touch with us via Twitter or, or via our email. Uh, let us know about your event a couple of weeks in advance. If you even if you'd like to record something, a little sort of twenty to thirty second bit about your event, uh, we'll put that out in the cast. You can give yourself a little shout out, and we'll advertise it to our listeners. That'd be wonderful. And speaking of a couple of bucks to throw about, we'd like a little shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much, everybody. Specifically to James Naylor from Naylor Games and Sean Newman from the Game a Lot team. Thank you so much to you two. Thank you so much to everybody who chucks us even a little bit of money. It's really appreciated, and I really mean that. You can sign up to our Patreon from $1 a month. I know we keep using dollars and we're in Scotland, but they go through dollars because it's an American company, as we just said. And Metallic Dice Games as well. Thank you very much for them giving us a little bit of money. If you'd like to have some really nice metallic dice, go to metallicdicegames.com and use the promo code ROLLWITHBRAINS. Also, we have some wonderful T-shirts. We have apparel from Sir Meeple. Pop along wear your favorite board gaming news podcast on your body i'm gonna i'm gonna go to the end here <clears throat> the cultural juggernaut that is monopoly is well known for provoking a lot of feelings let's say from players and gamers alike disdain from some and anger from others but what if that latter emotion might be actually beneficial in some regard according to hasbro's benelux department which is the department concerned with belgium the netherlands and luxembourg 8 out of 10 people fight while playing Elizabeth McGee's game that was sold to Charles Darrow and then the Parker Brothers. Their research suggests the emotional stress one feels during Monopoly could potentially be helpful in personal and emotional development. This is probably more aimed towards children. Creative agency Kressel Kramer has created an ad campaign for the Benelux countries, consisting of five posters. Each one shows a child being upset or angry whilst playing Monopoly and carries lessons on it, such as for dealing with a setback, and for learning how to express emotion. According to child psychologist Dr. Krista Okma, fighting teaches children to express their emotions, to set boundaries, to stand up for themselves, and to put themselves in other people's shoes. It can also be a good occasion to talk to children afterwards about important questions. How important is winning for them? Is it necessary to always be better than the others? It's certainly a take from Monopoly. What do you think, Jamie? I mean, you work with kids a lot. Do you, do you think this, there's something in this? I think playing games and losing games is an interesting learning tool. Mm -hmm. uh, working from 5 to about 11 or 12, especially the younger ones get quite... They get quite noticeably sad if they, they don't win. They, they start, some of them start crying and going, I'm awful at this game, I'm rubbish. And you go, no, this is the first time you've ever played it. And it's always next time. 
I think I think it is a, a an interesting way. I think more research should be done. But I think that's also just learning. I don't know. And that's just kind of might just be part of growing up. You can't always win everything. And the sooner you learn that. Yeah, I mean, the educational and sort of psychological benefits of games have been well documented. Whether Monopoly specifically is about that or not, I'm not I sure. I think it's definitely, yeah. I think Monopoly being focused on because A, it's Monopoly. It is, you know, one of the games. Yeah. It is everywhere. And it's one of the games that can be passed down through word of mouth. It's like Snap or Uno. You know how to yeah. play it because your parents know how to play it because your grandparents knew how to play it. Maybe your great grandparents knew how to play it. This is how you play it. And it is also well known for you know, causing emotion. Also, because of that period a couple of years ago where Hasbro went through a series of, like, ironic Monopoly versions, like the longest oh, yeah. game ever. Cheater's Edition. Socialism Monopoly. Anyway, I'm going to stop. Yeah, and if you'd like to tell us about the educational experiences you've had with board games, then please do get in touch. Thanks very much for listening. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm mostly active on Twitter. You can come and join us in our Discord, where we've got a lovely, friendly community, and every Tuesday after the cast goes out, we play board games together online, so do come along and join us. Our website is thegiantbrain.co.uk, and you can get in touch with us about anything in the show at giantbrainuk at gmail.com. We hope to see you next time. Bye for now. Bye.